I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 through 22. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. See, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he has put to death their hostility. He came to preach peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both now access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You were once that no longer. But you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the prophets, the apostles, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And we should pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Think about what you are doing among us in this body. Thank you for building us up for binding us together in love. We sing that, we pray that, that you would do that. We know it's not by human hands that that happens. It's through your work, through your hands, through your grace, through your love in our hearts. And that's what we pray for this morning, for your word to penetrate our hearts, make our hearts come alive with love. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we've been talking over the past several weeks about unity, community, love. We're going to continue doing that today. I want to put a a phrase on the screen. I want you to complete this so you can just shout out loud when we get to the blank. The sum is greater than the whole of? Yeah, the parts, it's parts, right. Uh, Do you know who first said that, by the way? Could be Homer. It goes way back. Aristotle said something very similar. And Aristotle, he was, he was back, he was like having coffee with Homer or something like that. Uh, Aristotle said something um, uh, very similar to this. This is what Aristotle said. He said, um, the reason that we have unity, what's the reason for unity? Why, why, why is that concept around? Of course, Aristotle's not a Christian, but he's thinking about these. He's like, hmm, I'm seeing something. When, when parts come together, there's something new that happens. So what's the purpose of unity? 
Aristotle said the reason for unity is that there is another kind of whole beyond the parts. In other words, there's a new reality that is created when these individual things come together. So, um, at my home, we have lots of Legos. I have a picture of a few of those Legos. Look at those Legos. There's four of them. I got like 40,000 of those at my house. Uh, so, we, you know, there's a gray flat one, a, a round yellow one, a black one, this little cone-looking um, Lego. They're all just, you know, they're just kind of Legos. Um, they have their own reality. But when you put them together, what happens? Put them together, you have a different reality, right? You have, you have a greater reality of something new. Something a lot more fun to play with, by the way. I mean, you have Hogwarts when the different parts come together. There is a, there's a greater reality that happens. Um, one guitar string. It's plucked. It makes a sound. Ah, pretty cool, right? Dave, Deaf, and Bob, pretty cool when you pluck a guitar string, right? Yeah. Um, actually, it's not all that impressive, but when you play six guitar strings together in a certain way, then, then you, have, you have a new reality. You have a greater unity when played in a certain way. And it's much more exciting, right? And you put those chords together into a piece of music, and you have even a greater reality. This is the, this is the idea of unity, that it's certainly more than, we're certainly more than the, it's some of its parts, but it's, it's something brand new that happens. Aristotle thought about that. Well, he was picking up on something that God had introduced into the world, Right? So today I want to think about what is the whole of the church. I mean, the church certainly is, we know it's not the building, right? I mean, that's, that's church 101, it's not the building. Uh, church 201, the church is more than just people in the building. And we can all come in this room and hang out together, sit together. That's not really what makes us the church, though. Just being in the same room, that doesn't make us the church. There is a certain arrangement, however that brings about this new reality. I want you to think about what is that arrangement of the individual parts that makes the church this new, greater reality? That arrangement is unity. And I want to talk about unity today. We're going to talk about um, three things that we see in this Scripture. And I hope, by the way, this Scripture, as we look at it, it's going to inspire us to be a part of this great, this greater reality um, that happens way of unity. So what I want to talk about today is what is the enemy of unity? What does Jesus do to bring about unity? And then what happens when we have this unity? So let's think about what is the enemy of unity. Look at uh, verses 11 and 12 again. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth... Gentiles, a non-Jew, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. In other words, you weren't God's people. 
You were foreigners to the covenants of God's promise. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. Life was bleak for you. Now, there was, there was not two more different people than Jews and Gentiles in ancient times. I mean, for centuries, they were separate from one another. In fact, before the time of Jesus, God did that on purpose. God separated the Jewish people from the Gentiles. And he did that in the Old Testament through a variety of ways. He, he, he gave them ceremonial laws, ritual laws, and said, you need to follow these ritual laws by following those ritual laws. For example, not being able to eat certain foods, um, having to stay ritually clean and away from those people who did eat certain kind of foods. When they followed these ritual laws, they naturally were excluded, the Jewish people, from Gentiles. They couldn't be in the same room. Couldn't be around one another. And God also gave the Israelites circumcision. And circumcision certainly was, it probably was the greatest, maybe not the greatest, maybe the law, maybe receiving God's word, but also circumcision um, was just an enormous source of pride for the Israelites because they believe this is something that God gave just to us, circumcision. Thank you, God, for giving us this ritual. No, they they really were thankful because it was something that they could take pride in. Without circumcision, the Jews saw you as inferior. So think about the story of David and Goliath. I thought about the story... Remember David and Goliath, and Goliath was the champion Philistine, nine foot tall. Uh, He's taunting the Israelites, come out and challenge me, and we'll show you what's going to happen. You know, just threats. David comes up to the Israelite army. He's not a soldier in the army. He's like, what's going on here? Who's Who's this joker? That's taunting us. But this is what Jesus. This is what David says. He says, who is this, not just the Philistine, who's that Philistine over there? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So uncircumcised, that was an insult. That was what you uh, would say of someone if you wanted to put them down. You uncircumcised Philistine. Um, this separation between Jews and Gentiles persisted even up to the time of Jesus and even during the, the days of Jesus in the temple. You may be aware that there was the court of the Gentiles, this, this segregated place in the, in the temple where the Gentiles had to stay within. There was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from where the Jewish people could go toward the the, the inner, more holy, sacred parts of the temple. There was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner court. There there was posted a warning sign, apparently, on this wall. It didn't say uh, trespassers will be prosecuted. It said trespassers will be executed. In other words, Gentiles, if you go beyond this wall, we're going to kill you. Now, that would make you feel inferior, right? Don't even come over here, we'll kill you. And 
so notice what God does in this passage, that, that Paul says God does in this passage. God takes the, the one thing that the Jewish people could really take pride in. And God did away with it. You who were formerly called uncircumcised. Now, did that mean that all of a sudden everyone got circumcised? That, that they were all rushed out to the circumcision clinics and had a procedure done? No. It means that Christ eliminated the need for an outward circumcision by performing an inward circumcision on the hearts of everyone who would believe in him. This inward circumcision that Jesus did, which which negated the need for that outward circumcision, that inner circumcision was that Jesus made our hearts soft towards God, towards God's word. And think about that. That's, That's a good trait of a Christian, right? That's a good mark of a Christian. Are you soft towards God and God's word? Do you love God? Do you you want to be with God? Do you want to follow God's word? That's what having a circumcised heart means. And that's what Jesus brought. Nullifying the need for an outward circumcision. So Jesus puts his spirit in us so that we can now live out God's law not through external obedience. And by the way, living out God's law through external obedience often is a way that people take find pride in. Like, well, yes, of course I go to church on every Sunday morning. Or yes, of course I give a tenth away uh, of all of my income. Or yes, of course I, you know, at Sabbath day I, I don't do any work. Of course. Obeying God's law in an external way always can be a source of pride, but Jesus says, I'm going to give you the soft heart for God and his law so that you can obey me internally. And there's no pride when you're obeying internally. You just want to do it. It's not something you would brag about. So here's what the enemy of unity is. The enemy of unity is pride. And God strips away that which the Israelites could take pride in. Now, here are two ways that pride is the enemy of unity. It's the enemy of unity when I focus on my perceived strengths um, and I look down on contempt towards others that don't have what I have. Um, You know, when I look at my neighbor's yard with edgings all growing over the sidewalks. And I look at my yard and say, wow, boy, my yard looks really good. And look at those neighbors over there. They can't do such a good job. They don't care about being a good neighbor. You know, how dare them? Maybe you do that. Maybe you don't. Hopefully we've be, moved beyond looks. But that can, that you know, that has been a source of pride, looking at people. And I mean, I'm looking over here, and I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, boy, Pastor Greg... He has brown hair. He doesn't have colored hair. I got colored hair, and it's pretty cool. And he's got dull brown hair, and he's always had dull brown hair. Um, you know, I know you all don't take a look at looks and have that being something that you take pride in, but it has been in the past. We can look down on people based on their looks. Um Political affiliation. I know some of you 
say, listen, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Republican, and by golly, don't you know that Jesus was a Republican, and so you should vote Republican? I mean, I, I, uh, flipping the script. My, my, my first church that I preached weekly at, there was this delightful old lady. She was a prayer warrior. And she said, you know, I, I vote Democrat. I, I think that's the only Christian thing to do is to vote Democrat. And if she were alive today, she'd be like 110 years old right now if she were still alive. She'd probably say, you know, I vote Democrat because that's the Christian thing to do. Listen, we all have these different preferences. We have these, these different uh, tendencies and, 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 and preferences, and we do life differently. And pride is when I say, hey, my way of doing life, that makes me better than you when I focus on my strengths. Another way that we can demonstrate pride, however, is when we actually focus on our weaknesses and we are envious of what we see in others. And you ask, well, how can that be pride when I look down on myself and and am envious of others? Well, that envy is an indicator that I'm prideful, that I think if I only had what that other person has, then I'd actually be able to feel good about myself and feel like I have something to boast of, boast about. I want to boast about something. Um, So when I focus on my weaknesses and are envious of other strengths, that also is an indication that I have pride. Either I'm feeling too good for others or I'm feeling envious of others. That's pride in our life. And God says, "I'm I'm going to remove that from you. And how does he do it? He brings us near to him. (laughs) You were at one time completely foreign to God's covenantal promises. That's what Paul wrote to to the Gentiles. You were without God. You were without hope. But look at what verse 13 says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you've been brought near. That's what God does to remove pride. He says, I want you to come near to me. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Well, that's great. I know I can be close to God. But not because of anything that God sees in me. Not because of my sincere prayers. Not because I read my Bible from time to time. Not because I go to church. That's not what brings me close to God. God, not because I keep my grass mowed and I'm a good neighbor. That's not what brings me close to God. God says, I'm the one that will bring you close to me, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Paul writes earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. What is it? It's a gift from God, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. God wants to take away our desire just to boast. Now, think about what that means. That means when I breathe my last breath, when I die, when I go to Jesus' side, the person that um, was completely different from me, had completely different tastes and preferences and outlooks on life, the person who was completely opposite from me, if that person trusted in Christ, that person will be right beside Jesus as well. And I'll look at him and I'll say, well, how did you get here? And he'll say the same way that you got here. It's through the grace of God that 
we're here together. And so I have nothing, I have nothing that I can boast in. I have nothing that I can boast in when the person that is completely different from me, that normally I'd want to boast over, can I do that? Boast over? Um, when he's there too. <laughs> because of the grace of Christ. So Jesus brings unity, because now we're there together with Jesus, right? Jesus brings unity by removing all sources of pride in us. And instead of relying on pride, God says, I want you to rely on something else. I want you to rely on my completely sufficient love for you. Verse 14, look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Not our, not our own thoughts of our inner righteousness. That's not our peace. That's not how we feel like we're being connected with God. No, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I can have peace with God because Jesus has brought me near to God, not because of anything great in me because of his grace. So Jesus removes our pride by loving us, and I want to give you two ways, completely and independently. He loves you completely. There is no way for Jesus to love you any less than he loves you. That's complete love of Christ. You don't have to wonder, is there something I could do? Or is there something that Jesus could do? to love me any more than he does. No, he loves you completely. And he loves you independently. He loves you independently of how you act. This is how you can have peace with God when you know that there is nothing you can do to sabotage God's love for you. You can't get God to unlove you. You can't. You can't do anything to get God to unlove you. You have a secured place right at Jesus' side for the Christian. And so I can have peace with someone that I naturally might feel very far from and different from. See, through Jesus, I won't feel too good or too inferior to anyone um, to be in a relationship with him or her. That's how... Jesus brings unity because I'm not feeling superior to or inferior to others in the church. Jesus preached peace to those who are far away and to those who are near. He brought someone very far away from me naturally together with me. Now, let's, uh, let's think about what happens when we have unity. Remember, there's a greater reality that happens. I mean, we're, we're not just the, the church is not just the aggregate of its parts. It's not just a bunch of Christians together. It's, it's a new greater reality that happens. Verse 15 says, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, a brand new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So there's this, this new humanity, this new kind of whole. Jesus makes us one, one body. 
Look at verse 19. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with God's people, and also you are members of his household. That means you are members of God's family. You're not just God's people. You are God's family members. Being connected to a church is, is, is about being connected as brothers and sisters in one family. Now, how do you get to be a part of God's family? It's because God adopts you into his family. He chooses you. He adopts you into his family. And then he tells everyone else, hey, you got a new brother or sister. You know, someone is adopted into a biological family, and the, the, the sons and daughters are told by mom and dad, hey, have you got a new brother or sister? Oh, that's great. New brother and sister, what, what do you like to do? What do you like to eat? How do you have fun? Oh, by this and this and this? Well, I don't like any of that. But that's okay, because mom and dad said, you're my new brother, you're my new sister, so here we go. And that's what, that's what happens in God's family. He brings a bunch of different people together. He says... You're in my family. I've adopted you. And so here we go. (laughs) Dad says, we're brothers and sisters. Here we go. We can be very different. Here we go. Here we go. We're family. When I'm in my family, I can be very different from others in my family, but I don't have to worry about not being welcome. That's the power of family. I can be a weirdo but I know that I'm welcome. That is the power of unity in family. And when I'm a member of that family, something happens in my heart because I know I'm always welcome. And so my heart grows in love and then I can start loving others as God would have me love them. I can love people who are very different from me, who I might not initially even like. Because of grace. Because I recognize this is not one, there is not one thing I did to be a part of God's family. He just said, I adopt you and brought me in. So when you think of being a Christian in a church, I want you to think you're, you're, you're more than, you're certainly more than just a person in a room with other people, right? Um... If you are a Christian and you're here even for the first time this morning, you're not a stranger in the room. You're a brother and sister. You belong to a family, not just a people, a family. Why would God want to bring different people together? Why not, why not have people of, you know, very similar to one another clustering here and here and here and here? Why would God want to bring much different people together? Oh, I was thinking about this. Why? I think this is why. God brings together people who are very different, so we will know that God did it. At least that's one reason. We didn't do this ourselves. This happens when God makes it happen through the power of his Holy Spirit. Only God can do that. So let me give you two words about pride and humility 
And, and, and these are words, uh, they're not rocket science words. I, I think I heard them from Alistair Begg, but you probably heard them from someone else. Pride disintegrates. Pride, um, I'm not meant to be alone. Pride keeps me alone. Pride keeps me from that greater reality that I'm supposed to be a part of. So pride disintegrates, and humility, if pride disintegrates, humility integrates. Humility brings us together. And I want to list three ways that humility integrates us into one body. And we're going to see three things that happen when we have this unity. Um, we are members of one family. In verse 20, then adds, look at verse 20. Verse 20 adds, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, what's that foundation of the apostles and the prophets? Well, that's the witness of the, the apostles and the prophets. That's the words of the apostles and prophets. They're witness. That's, that's God's word to us. So one thing we receive through humility is we are built truly on the foundation of God's word. Um, so one thing that happens through unity, when we show humility, when I show humility, I can digest God's word within the community of believers. See, I can eat God's word alone, but I won't be able to fully digest it alone. And, and I think that... The easy thing is to think, I can read my Bible alone and digest fully what I need to receive from it, but that is not the case. I need to be digesting God's Word with other believers. Um, I need to be hearing God's Word read and proclaimed. I need to study God's Word with others. I need to share my life in God's Word with others and mention how I'm struggling and and how I'm needing to hear from God's Word. I need to do that with others. I need humility to actually do that. If I don't have humility, if I have pride in my life, I'm not going to want to study study God's Word with other people because I'm not going to want them to tell me things about my life that they're seeing that may be in line with God's Word or out of line with God's Word. Humility brings us together so we can study God's Word together. Now, we're reading the Bible in a year. We're setting up these groups to do that, to, to help people digest God's Word together. I encourage you to think about being in one of those groups. Sign up for one of those groups in the foyer. We are members of one family. And then look at what verse 21 says with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, and in him the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. So he's talking about family. Now he's talking about a building. Different metaphor now. So two, what happens when we have this unity? Through humility, I can receive and I can give strength. I want you to think about being a building, being a wall in a building. Christ is the cornerstone. I am connected to others as I am aligned with Christ, the cornerstone in this building or this wall. A stone fitted with other stones, it's a lot different than a human body. Why is Paul changing the metaphor? Well, I'll tell you why he's changing it. So he can show the strength that we have when we are aligned 
properly with Christ Jesus as our cornerstone. If you are a stone in that wall that Christ has put together in the temple, you're going to be a source of strength and you're going to receive strength from others. So a few verses on giving strength and receiving strength from others. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Serve one another humbly in love. A way to give and receive strength from others. Carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6, verse 2. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor yourselves above others. All these verses explaining how we are supposed to be strength and receive strength from others. Be completely humble and gentle. Ephesians 4, verse 2 says, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And you can't live out these scriptures by just being around other Christians. You have to be in unity with other Christians. You need to be in a relationship. You need to be in a group. You need to join a Bible study. You need to grab a couple of guys or a couple of gals and go have coffee with one another and encourage one another through the scriptures. So you can be strength and you can receive strength. And then verse 22. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling, not just any dwelling, a dwelling in which God lives through his spirit. So three, through humility, God lives among his church. That's that's another thing that happens when we have unity. God lives among us. Jesus is building us together as God's dwelling place. And I was thinking about when else do we see that in the Bible? Well, if you think about the Old Testament, David said, God, I want to build you a dwelling place. Remember that? And it was David's son Solomon who actually got to build the temple. But remember what God said to David? God, I want to build you a dwelling place. God was like, "Uh, how are you going to do that? How's, how's human hands going to build me a temple? How is human hands going to build me a dwelling place? And then God says, you know what? You build me that temple and I'll come live among you. But not because you built it. You can't build me a dwelling place. You know who gets to build a real dwelling place for God? It's Jesus. It's through his hands that he builds us together to be a a dwelling place for God. And he's not going to build some shoddy building, is he? He's going to build a church that's in unity, that is humble, that is free from pride, where people who are very different from one another come together in love, brought together by Jesus Christ, loved deeply by Jesus Christ, so that we can be free from that pride. So, let Jesus remove your pride. Be humble. Be in relationship with one another. Seek that out. When you are here together, you are not just one in a room with other Christians. You are brothers and sisters. Be a part of this greater reality that Jesus is is building. Let's think about these things. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Will you grow us in our heart?
with one another? Will you give us tender hearts for each other? As we get ready to share this communion meal with one another, may that be one way that you do that, that your Holy Spirit would would work in that mealtime celebration to, um, to draw us together, to do that which we cannot do by our own strength, to give us deep love for one another. Lord, we know that that comes not because... Um, I mean, our, our efforts are important, but that's not what it makes it happen. It happens because of your gifts to us, your death, your resurrection, your Holy Spirit that you give to us, this new life that, that you have uh, given us. And so we, we celebrate that new life. We want to live it out fully in unity together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.